I believe it's been a grand blessing this year to have uh, done something a little bit different this year than we normally do, and that is normally what we'd have is the Christmas message today. This would be the only Christmas message, and this this year we decided to uh, go into a little more depth on it, and so for the past number of Sundays, we've gone into the great advent of the Lord Jesus Christ in a bit more detail. I have found it absolutely refreshing. It has given me a clearer perspective, a little bit clearer perspective as to what transpired transpired when the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and became man. The Son of God who became the Son of Man in order that he might bring about sons of God and that's who we can be as sons of of the living God. And so we'll go to the last portion and we're going to do some review and background today as far as the whole picture is concerned. And we go to Luke chapter number two for that particular background. We dealt with this last week. I'm going to uh, only by way of giving you some background information on it, we're going to go into it a little bit more this week as far as what had transpired. The scene that the Lord Jesus Christ bursted in on, in some minds, might not be considered very ideal. The Jewish nation at that time was under the hard press of the Roman government. Not only was it the Roman government who had basically taken established rule over the whole then known world, but they also had to deal with Herod this uh, tremendously cruel individual as their governor slash their king. And so in this backdrop, with all of this, the Lord Jesus Christ then comes onto the scene. This is what it says in verse number one of chapter number two of the book of Luke. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. It was a Roman consul that uh, got together when Caesar, uh, when this Caesar, who was in the line of Caesars, actually came into power in, uh, in the then known world as the Roman governor. And uh, the, the consul had gone to him and said, well, listen, we can make you King Caesar. How's that? Does that sound pretty good? And Caesar said, no, not good enough. He said, well, then we'll make you dictator Caesar. He said, not good enough. And then one suggested Caesar Augustus. And the word Augustus means the God. And so here Caesar was planting himself as the God. He actually took on the title and put it out there that he was the savior of the world. That was the title of Caesar. You know, it's interesting to note that that whenever humanity in their created state as being created by God Almighty, whenever they outstep those boundaries, God says, that's it, I move in. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? 
It was right after the, the chopping of the tree, the great tree that, that filled the earth. And, and, and when, when none of the magi could come up with any kind of a real solution as to what this tree really meant in his dream, well, then he went to Daniel. And Daniel said, that's you, king. You fill the earth. Oh, isn't that great? But then came the big axe, right? And the big axe began to swat at the base of that tree. And that tree came a-tumbling down. Well, it was a year later when Nebuchadnezzar was walking on his balcony, walking back and forth, looking over his great Babylon that he had created and, and, and really feeling the pride of the whole thing. He, he was quite, quite an engineer, indeed. There's no, there's no denying that in this verse. The king spake, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty hand and power and honor of my majesty? And what does it say in the Bible next? God said, enough. Enough. You will be made like a beast. He did not accept his position as created being. And so God made him a humble beast that would crawl around on all fours and eat the grass. That was a year after his dream of the chopping down of the 12 months, it says in the Bible, after that dream. He had forgotten, didn't he? And his pride was swelling. And every time the pride of men begins to swell, on that level where they forget that they are created being created by God Almighty. God Almighty then steps in and says, Enough! I've had enough. I'll hear no more from you. You puny little creature, you. You'll crawl like a beast. The same thing with Caesar Augustus. God stepped in. It's the great advent, isn't it? Caesar didn't last too long after that. Neither did Herod. In fact, Herod didn't last much after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. God judged both for their tremendous pride as they stand in the face of God Almighty. It was Herod and his unbelievable pride, his unbelievable cruelty, un. Fathomable. Caesar Augustus said this, I'd rather be Herod's dog than Herod's son. Wow. Because his sons went down one after the other after the other and a few wives to throw into boot in order that his power base might not be eroded. He'd never lose that power. He wanted that power so bad. He would destroy his own family to make sure that it was continually established. That's the background of Emmanuel, God, with us. You know what's really amazing is, amazes me is this, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know, I just take these things as from the Lord. There was a lady that came home To her home 
She was in her home for a while. And her husband came in the door. And her husband shot her three times. I'm not making this up. It happened last week. Shot her three times. And then turned the gun on himself. And shot himself. Humanity would cry. Where's God in all this? Where's God? And Isaiah would tell us in the seventh chapter, you have God. His name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, folks, don't detach the redemption by His blood from the Advent. Oh, the Advent is so warm and fuzzy. In our own minds, we can handle that. You can go to anyone on the street and start talking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and Bethlehem and and, and the visitation of the shepherds and all the like, and you'll never get too much of a problem. But talk about His death and the violence of that death and the cruelty of that death, and the humility of that death. Talk about that death, and all of a sudden, everything turns off. They don't want to hear about it. Why? Why? Because it's just like the law. It's just like all the rituals that the the Jews carried out. All of those rituals, all of that law, what does it do? It tells them that you are not a good person. That's what the law says. That's what the law is telling the nation of Israel. Whenever they circumcise a little boy on the eighth day, they're cutting away the flesh because they're saying, you are not a good person. People don't want to hear that. You know what the greatest hindrance to the acceptance of the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is when an individual is told, get away from the control center of your life and let God. No. They back off of that. They don't want that. Get away from the helm. Let go of the steering wheel. You let go and let God. And that's where they say no and their pride wells up. I'll run my own show. That was Herod. That was Caesar Augustus. You see. Oh, the pride of men wells up and keeps us out of heaven's doors. I was talking to a teacher this weekend, I mean, this past week, and there was this great Baptist church right down there in South. Miami, great Baptist church. Man, I just couldn't believe it. They, they served all the teachers a nice meal. And, and when I got in there, I thought it was the principal putting on the meal. The principal was there. And, and I thought, wow, what a wonderful thing. And then they gave me this little packet. And they got a little CD concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in that little packet. And I realized it was a Baptist church that was putting this whole function on. Isn't that wonderful? I said, wow, I am so encouraged by this. And when I got out, I got with another teacher and he said, yeah, the meal was good, but I told him, no, I don't want nothing to do with that. That Jesus stuff, you know. He's a big boy, you know. 
or on my own show, do my own thing. I don't need such assistance from anyone. He brags about his pensions and his 401ks and all this money he's got. Man, man, God could turn to him. Do you not know that tonight your life will be required of you and over and done with is all gone? Just that quick. God has done something. As far back, 700, 800 years, and Isaiah said, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what you call him. God with us. Son of God becoming the Son of Man. Emmanuel. The shepherds came. The angel went to the shepherds. That always baffled me. Shepherds had a terrible reputation. They, they, they were not to be even trusted. They, they, they were not accepted into society, in the realms of society. They were kept out of the realms of society. They were considered thieves as, as a lot. These shepherds were not, though. They were looking for the advent, the Messiah. Absolutely unquestioned in my mind, these were looking for the advent of the Messiah. But their reputation was so rotten. Why would he choose shepherds? Of all things. But they came with enthusiasm. And they announced the Lord Jesus Christ. And they went back with enthusiasm. It says they went back to their fields. They still had their sheep to deal with. But I'll tell you what. They had themselves one grand ministry that they were going to be involved in now. Telling about the Messiah. That one who was sent of God. All would be set up. Caesar Augustus was a tremendous engineer himself and created a, an elaborate road system that, uh, you know, the old saying, all roads lead back to Rome. Well, this was an elaborate road system all throughout the then known world. And it was, it was by the hand of God that this was created. Why? Because then the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would have to go out to that world and that could be accomplished with this road system. And so Caesar Augustus was planted by God to, to lay out this great road system. God is in control. His sovereign, absolute hand of unquestioned control. It was Caesar who said that, that we need to take a census. The census was taken. They say historically uh, Caesar had a census taken about every 14 years all throughout the then known world. Every 14 years he wanted to know who was in his great kingdom. Oh, it was like God had little eye hooks planted into his arms and strings going up to heaven and he was moving Caesar around and making Caesar to do his will. Back to Bethlehem they went because we know in the book of Micah chapter 5 that that's where the Messiah must be born is in Bethlehem. Oh, God is in control, folks. God is in control. This whole world may look like a, 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 a wreck ready to happen, a bus tumbling down a road on a, on, a, on a steep hill, ready to crash at whatever lands on the bottom. But I'll tell you what, God is in control. 
God is still on the throne. And his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The angels came, the shepherds came, and verse number 19 of chapter 2 in the book of Luke says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Our section this morning starts at verse 21 of chapter number 2. So against this particular backdrop, we have the coming of the Messiah, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that the, the book of Matthew was really from a Jewish perspective, and that's the other account. The book of John, now you might think, well, the book of John, it doesn't have any account of the advent of the Lord Jesus. It sure, certainly does. That's from God's view, isn't it? The Word became flesh and, and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so from God's view, we get the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ from John. And then from Matthew, he's a Jew. We get the Jewish account of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you have the Magi that, that came in from the east. Those Magi that, 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 that came in and, and, and gave the message. Well, they came straight to Herod, didn't they? And, and Herod had already deemed himself, oh, this is, really a, this is really a slap in the face of the Jews because Herod was an Edomite. Herod was an Edomite. And so what he deemed himself as king of the Jews. Chew on that, folks. I, an Edomite, am going to now be your king. Kind of an in-your-face kind of a title. And then if you go back to the book of, uh, of, of Matthew, you're going to see something very, very extraordinary because these magi, they knew different, didn't they? they? They knew the truth, didn't they? They said this, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Who'd they say that to? Well, they, they said it to Herod. And so Herod the Great had to sit here and listen to them say, the Bible actually indicates by its language that they said it over and over and over and over again. Herod is probably thinking, this, can we not say that again? I would rather you not say that again, please. I don't even want to hear it. But he didn't. He kept his cool. He needed to keep his cool because he respected these magi these magi had tremendous influence. And when they came in, it wasn't like a couple of uh, little rich boys came in with their uh, gifts, Frank, gold, frankincense, and mercy. No, it says that there was a whole army, and a whole army uh, followed past with these magi. And when they came in into Herod, he saw all this influence, this tremendous influence from the east. And he knew that they had insight that he didn't have. And so he respected that. Where is born? The king of Jews. We want to know where he's born. He should have known, right? He's dealing in Judah with the nation of Israel. So if you go back to the Israelites, you should know where this king is being born. Why is it that the Magi knew and the, and the Jews didn't? It's a strange thing, isn't it? Except some historians say there's a connection between Daniel and the Magi. And if you go back to Daniel chapter 9, there was a timetable given. And that timetable took us right up to, right on the very time that the Magi came in to see Mr. Herod. Maybe they studied Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 better than the Jews did. I don't know. 
But they knew somehow. And this star led them, supernaturally led them, and stopped at the place where the baby was and mom and dad. It stopped right there. So here we have this supernatural influence. And, and, and they were there. And so they become witnesses to his glory. The shepherds of all things. These, these I mean, if you talk about a shepherd, you're talking about some, some guy that's just out there in the field and, and he's, he's really a, a low uh, portion of society. And yet he was given the witness by the angels. It says one angel came. And then it says a whole multitude of angels came. Can you imagine what the shepherds might have felt like? Oh, my goodness. It was like all heaven broke loose. It was all, it really, it is, if you think about it, all heaven is already breaking loose. When we get a picture in Revelation chapter 5, what, what's going on there? All heaven breaks loose all the time. It's a continual praise and worship and giving glory to God the Father. That's what heaven's all about. And so what they did is they just brought the choir from heaven. They brought it down to earth for a little while and let the, uh, let the shepherds hear it. Can you imagine the influence it had on those shepherds? Uh, what was their response? We got to go now. Whew. We got to go now. No delay. I'm sure they had to put their sheep somewhere and find somewhere, and uncles, maybe aunts, so-and-so, but they had to get the sheep taken care of, but they had to go now. They had to go find the Savior of the world. That's who God chose. And then there were these three that we're going to deal with today. Back to Luke chapter 2 and verse number 21. <clears throat> Remembering that in accordance with Jewish law, in order to establish a fact, there had to be two, preferably three witnesses. That's what had to be in order to establish something. So in order to establish the validity of the Son of the living God becoming the Son of Man and coming down to this earth, they got three valid, good, valid, credible witnesses. To make that establishment. They say, well, what about the shepherds? Well, the shepherds, uh, they had a bad reputation. These particular shepherds, I believe, were, were uh, after the advent. They were ones who waited for the Lord Jesus Christ. His Messiahship. The fact that he would be sent of God. They waited. But as a whole, they were not credible as witnesses. And so this was the three witnesses that God had put up. Because they are incredible. They, they are very, very credible. Here's what it says. Verse number 21. And when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, uh, uh, which was so named of the angels before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, and it is written in the law of the Lord: Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord: a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So the first witness is Mary and Joseph. The first witness. We've got to get three, but there, there's your first witness. Is Joseph credible? Well, the Bible calls him righteous and just. He's a righteous and just man. It deems him that way. 
It was interesting that when, when Mary was found to be with child and, and Joseph started putting the pieces together and realizing that I didn't father this child, uh, he had every right then to put Mary out of his presence. That was the, the, the grounds for divorce. You say, well, well, they weren't married yet. Well, when they're begotten, when they come together and betrothed, that is like marriage in the Jewish economy. And it could only be broken by a divorce. And so he could have just divorced her and put her away. He could have gone as far as to have her stoned for what she did. But the Word of God says he loved her. Did not want to see her embarrassed and put away publicly. And so he dealt with it very, very quietly as far as the situation was concerned. Joseph was a very, very just man. Mary, obviously, Mary was a very just woman as well. When she comes up with this song, she says, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. It wasn't, my soul doth magnify the Lord because I am that chosen one. I am that vessel by which the Messiah will come. That was predicted way back in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 7, but that's not what made her soul magnify the Lord. She had been magnifying the Lord all along. It was characteristic of her being. She looked to the Lord. She realized that the, the, the Old Testament, which is the Bible in that day, she took very, very literally. And it literally said that a Messiah would come. She said, okay, it says a Messiah would come. We wait for the Messiah. Joseph, the same. They're both considered credible witnesses. And then you have in um, the next few verses here. Let me go back to Matthew chapter 2. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation, that word can be translated comfort, of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he has seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him uh, after the customs of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let let thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and a glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those sayings which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his, his uh, mother, Behold, thy child is set for the fall and rise again of many in, in Israel and for the sign which shall be spoken against 
Simeon's name means God has heard. God has heard. Simeon was probably a very old man at this time, well, well up into years. And his major activity was waiting on the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord had made a promise to him that before you die, you will see the Messiah. What a blessing that must have been for that man. Knowing that before he dies, he would see the Messiah, the sent one of God, the Redeemer of all mankind. Simeon, it says in, in uh, verse... Uh, number 25, that he was a just and devout man. He was just in just the same way that you and I are just. Oftentimes we, we look at the words just and righteousness as something that we acquire of ourselves. That's not the way it works, is it? Like I said, everything about the law of Moses was not there in order that we could look at it and say, okay, well, here's the standard. Now all we have to do is work really hard and get ourselves up to that standard. And when we get to that standard, then we'll feel like, oh, we're, we're in pretty good shape here. That was the Pharisaical attitude. The Pharisees took the law and they added more laws to it because they felt as though if they could attain to that standard and they convinced everybody around them that they were special people and that they were attaining to that standard. The Lord Jesus Christ actually said, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees. So we know that they did keep a pretty high standard as far as following the law. But then he turned right around and said, you whitewashed tombs, you hypocrites is what you are. So the full truth and the full emphasis of the law is that it's a schoolmaster to ultimately bring us to the point where we realize, I can't do this. I was never equipped to be my own savior. I was never equipped to run my own show. That I have to pass off to the almighty God of heaven. And so when it talks about the fact that he was a a just man or a righteous man, that is that he was looking to the answer from God in heaven, the Messiah that would come. We read the verse, for by grace are you saved through faith. If you you would have gone to, to those that looked forward to the cross, they would say, for by faith are you saved through grace. Think about that. Because they were looking for the answer, the Redeemer. They were looking for that one sent of God. They were looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. We look back on it, don't we? For by grace, we look back. Oh, there's a grace. The bleeding hands and and the bleeding side and the spit of humiliation. That's the grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. But they look and they say, by faith, I'll wait. But I will keep looking by faith, saved through grace. And finally, that grace had come. 
And Simeon had held that grace in his hands. And so when he reached and, and held the Lord Jesus Christ, he may have kissed the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he kissed the Lord Jesus Christ, he was kissing heaven. He was kissing God. <laughs> wow. What a thrill. No wonder he said, okay, Lord, now, hey, listen, I've seen enough. I'm ready to go home. Have you kissed the Father? The Son's making that invitation this morning. Come unto me, he said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's saying, come, I will join you back to the Father. That relationship that was severed, By sin itself, I will join you back to the Father. Come, there's the invitation. Oh, don't just go through this season and say, Oh man, but the the Lord was born on this earth. Isn't that great? And He did all these wonderful things on the earth to show us what a great example He was. The Lord was spit on too. And He took these giant nine-inch spikes and drove them into his hands and into his feet. That he did too. Why? Because my sin is ugly. My sin stinks. It's awful. It's degrading. And it can't be dealt with by myself. It must be dealt with by the answer that God gave when he gave his son down to this earth to be our Savior. Oh, folks, you get all the warm and fuzzy you want to during this season. Get all that warm and fuzzy. But I'll tell you what, he came to die. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which shall take away the sins of the world. That's what he did. He turned, he pointed, he said, There it is, the Lamb of God. He didn't say, Behold, there's our example. Follow after him. See what he does? Walk like he walks. Talk like he talks. Do what he does, and you'll be okay. No, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Like a slain lamb he saw walking on that street, freshly slain. That's exactly what he was saying. John the Baptist knew, didn't he? Simeon knew as well. And then he was devout. Devotion is an outworking of justification and righteousness. To be devout is an outworking of those two. When we become righteous, there is an outworking, there's a natural outworking of that. The law of the Lord is perfect, it says in Psalm uh, uh, 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. We become lovers of that which he loves, the law of God. It's a, it's a, it's a natural process. Now, you say, well, I'm saved, but I really don't care about all that stuff. Well, then I wonder. I wonder. That individual has truly taken the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Did he see that cross and his hideousness? Did he see the violence of the cross? Did he actually see just what it cost to the Lord Jesus Christ to become Redeemer of you and me? If you see that, then you're going to want to follow the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So we have a just man. We have a righteous man. And we have a devout man as well. 
And then we have the very end of this. And there are a couple of stunning things that Simeon says. They stunned Mary and Joseph. This is what it says in verse... Um, let's start at verse 29. Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to, the, to, the, to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of... Now here's what stunned them first. There's one three-letter word in there. All. All people. Now, before this, the angels had made it well known that he came for the nation of Israel. There seemed to be a connection between the nation of Israel and the advent of the Son of the living God. And certainly there is an obvious connection between those two. He is going to come in the second coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to establish his authority, rule, and reign on this earth. There's going to be justice on this earth. Finally, there's going to be justice on this earth. There's no question about that. But here's what it says. It says before all peoples. Uh, that is verse 31. That's right. All peoples. A light to lighten the Gentiles. Oh, well, well no more no wonder they marveled. And, and Joseph and and his mother marveled. Well, no wonder they marveled. They'd heard about the connection between Israel and, and the Lord Jesus Christ and his advent, but they surely hadn't heard the connection between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Gentile nations as well. Oh, no, 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 you've got it all wrong, Lord. That it can't be, that can't be. Why, um, um, what you're going to do is you're going to come here and you're going to pick out your big rod and you're going to swat the Romans right out of this place and we're going to take on this world. We're going to rule and reign on this world. They had it all completely wrong, didn't they? There's a crucifixion in between there, isn't there? There's sins that needed to be dealt with. And here's the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ being a blessing on the Gentiles as well, a blessing on Israel and a glory of thy people, Israel. And Joseph and his, and his, uh, and Joseph and his uh, mother marveled uh, at those things which were spoken unto him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto them, Mary... His mother to his uh, unto Mary's mother. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rise against many nations. Now, why did he turn to Joseph? He didn't say it to Joseph. He said it to Mary. Of course, we know why. Because the last we see of Joseph is the next section of the book, and that is when the Lord Jesus Christ is twelve years old and he's taken to the temple, and he begins to debate with the philosophers in the temple. Those of high-mindedness. He begins to ask questions of such an intelligent nature that they said, man, this ain't right. Who, who in the world is this? Everyone that came with the Lord Jesus Christ came away with the same opinion. Who in the world is this? And so it says, uh, and, and, uh, and Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rise against many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against and then verse 35 yea a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also 
that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And I'm sure that they probably thought, well, wait a second. He, he's, the, he's the glorious son of the God. He's here to manifest the glory of God. He's here to rescue Israel. He's here for all these uh, beneficial aspects of mankind as they're here on this earth. And then, the, uh, and then Simeon lays this out on him. He's going to pierce your soul. And that's exactly what took place at the cross when our Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. He turned to John. Behold your mother. And he turned her over to John for her caretaking. She probably wasn't any more than about 40 years old at the time. And then there's Anna. Anna, who starts there in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. It's interesting, this, this little allusion here to the fact that she was of the tribe of Asher because what it was purported was that uh, when the ten tribes were swept away by the Syrians to the north, uh, then they had lost completely their identity. In other words, they didn't know what tribe they were from anymore. They just lost it all. Well, this is kind of a disproving of that, isn't it? Because it makes it very clear that she knew that she was of the tribe of Asher. Asher means happy. I, I really think that, that Linda and Sam named their son very, very well because every time I see Asher, he's got this big smile on his face. So it's almost by the divine uh, intervention of God that they named him Asher. I see this kid smiling all the time. That's what it means. It means happy. Asher. It was a tribe, one of those ten that had been swept away up into the north uh, of Israel. And it says, And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, uh, which departed not from the temple. So she just stayed in the temple for probably um, over 80 years, but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. And she coming in that instant as being directed by the Holy Spirit, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him of all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee and unto their own city, uh, Nazareth. So this woman, uh, after you go through the various contexts, it's very difficult to, to determine. We just know that she was very old. She was at least 84 years old. She was probably over 100 years old. She had spent the last 84 years simply in the temple in fasting and prayer and waiting in fasting and prayer and waiting. And so what the Holy Spirit was doing with these three, Mary and Joseph, and then Simeon, and then Anna, what he was doing was making sure that there were three credible witnesses to witness to and attest to the fact that this truly was the Messiah, Son of God. He couldn't rely upon the shepherds. Too bad a reputation. Nor the Magi... But he could rely upon these who were devout, devoutly looking for the Messiah. 
Now, th- th- these were times that we're not living in right now. These were difficult times for the nation of Israel. We live in this time now that, 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 that everything is going pretty well. And, and that's why we've been discussing this uh, for, for quite a number of weeks, that we've kind of lost the edge of looking for the Lord Jesus Christ, that blessed hope. Well, they were looking for the blessed hope. They were under the hard arm of the Roman government, and they were looking for a deliverer to come and to save them from the tyranny of the Roman government. And then came the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the verse that was said this morning. And this must have stunned every Jewish ear. This stunned every Jewish ear. A light to the Gentiles and a glory to Israel. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's say a glory to Israel and get the light on the bottom. At least. Let's put the Gentiles. Let's at least put them on the bottom here, you know. No, that's not the way Simeon did it, did he? He took the Gentiles first and then he went to the Jewish nation. It must have stunned him. And then that glory that came down from heaven as a gift from God the Father in heaven said these words, For God so loved the world. What a Savior. That salvation is so rich. It is so immense. It can't be just for one nation. For God so loved the whole world. No wonder it is, and many will dispute this. How can God send someone to hell if one sits back and says no to the love of God and says no to the love of God again and again and again and again? Then God is forced by his own righteousness and his own justice to send that individual and cast him out out from his presence for all eternity into hell. I ask you to consider not just the advent of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, but I ask you to consider the death of the Lord. He died for you. He died for me. And when we think of heartache scenes like what happened this past week, that one's hard. And we cry out, where's God in all this? Just remember, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks that the Lord Jesus Christ came as obedient to your, to your will, our Father, And he died as obedient to your will. And he was buried. But on the third day, showing his conquest over our sins, our filthiness, our vileness, he rose again from the dead and is now seated at your right hand. Our Father, he is waiting patiently, graciously, mercifully 
that there would be more that would come to him. Recognize their need of a Savior. They can't be saved by their own good works. They're vile, they're filthy in the sight of God. They need to be saved by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank you for drawing us together. We thank you for the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. In his name we do pray. Amen.